So we're going to be all over the Bible um, this morning because um, what we're starting is, well, I mean, our jumping off place is from 1 Timothy, looking at chapter 4, verse 12. And this will be kind of the framework, set the framework for the next uh, handful of uh, men's breakfasts that we, uh, we gather together. We have this familiar uh, command from Paul to Timothy, this exhortation in 1 Timothy 4.12. And so while you continue to find your way there, I'll pray again quickly. Father, we ask that as we open up Your Word and think together about what You instruct us and how to use our mouths, we pray that You would help us. And we pray that you would open your word to us and open our hearts to receive it. In Jesus' name, amen. So, 1 Timothy 4.12 says, Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. And the application to our our, our very young uh, is obvious. Um, but uh, the, 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 these are these are bucket categories. These are umbrella topics that really apply to all. Um, because Paul, I mean, his basic idea is he's speaking to his young friend and he's wanting to say, "You are at risk of being dismissed by the people you've been called to minister to to impact. You're at risk of being dismissed." And the way forward is live an exemplary life. Live so well that they have nothing bad to say about you. And when you want to say that to somebody, okay, that's pretty broad, live well. How am I to do that? And Paul says, well, think about five areas, Timothy. Think about the way you talk. Think about the way you live. Think about your love and your faith and your purity. And and so we are a, a church that in general prefers an expositional approach to walking through the Bible. And there's a lot in favor of that. That's that's the best, in my mind, normal uh, way to feed a congregation and to feed ourselves. To walk through the Bible and let it speak to you. Uh, but th- passages like this show us that there are times in which we want to just paint with a broad brush and hit the big categories that are significant and kind of sum up. What, what should you worry about or what areas should you focus on when you think about living a good life as a man? Living an exemplary life. Whether you're young, like Timothy, or, or whether you're older, because as we get older, what things are we still needing to worry about? Well, we're still needing to worry about our speech, our conduct, our love, our faith, and our purity. These are the, the fundamentals that we really never outgrow. You, you will, you might develop, you should develop more maturity in these areas. I, I should. Uh, and more um, nuance and more uh, understanding, uh, um, discernment in working out how we use our, our tongue. In, in how we understand the call to love. But we never get past these categories. And so that's why we want to use them as a framework Moving forward, so this morning we we take the first one of set the believers an example in speech. Pay attention to your life in the area of speech. Um, so l- let me just start by by tossing it out. When you hear that, do you have uh, pictures come into mind? Somebody you've known, or maybe just what what comes to mind as far as being exemplary in speech? Any any ideas? I would say even among unbelievers, someone who does not gossip is extremely unusual in the workplace. Okay. It stands out. Yeah, that's good. Someone who's even vocabulary, I think of the workplace again, is quite different than those that you're working with. Yeah. There's words that you won't be taught to be which increasingly is is just like it seems like the vocabulary of the average American is like shrinking to like <laughs> that big. Um, yes, that's good. Yes, Scott. One that always impresses me, probably because I'm I'm naturally too verbal. Yeah. Are, are people who 
measure out their words mm. it, such that when they open their mouth to speak, you want to listen because you know it's probably worth listening to. Yes. I know a few men like that, and they, they always impress me. Yeah. You know, they don't waste a lot of verbiage, which I want to do. Yeah. Um, and they speak, and you're like, oh, I want to hear this guy. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, that's good. And it, w- when you go through the Proverbs, which is um, full of uh, of words, about words, and, um, I was listening to something by uh, Paul David Tripp, and uh, he said that, that the basic idea of Proverbs, he summed it up as um, words bring, uh, your, your words uh, give life, your words kill, you choose. Something to, to that effect. No, Proverbs says a whole lot more. But we've been going through it with our family, uh, just a slow plod, through the Proverbs and it's amazing how often I'm like here we have another one about the the, the lips the words that you use about lying about um, just so many things covered and one of the things in Proverbs is this repeated refrain a chattering fool comes to ruin or where words are many sin is not absent so along the lines of what Scott pointed out anything else one other one that I really stands out to me is people who don't complain that especially when you know they're suffering like if you're working outside and it's raining everybody's got a bad attitude there's that one person who's not complaining yes yeah, it's almost like not complaining and grumbling causes us to shine as stars in the midst of a crooked and depraved generation (laughs) (laughs) but I'm glad you, you mentioned that Yes, babe. Here's a negative one. I've been teaching through Romans in chapter 3. It talks about uh, people who are out of the way and they become unprofitable. There's none that does good, no, not one. And then it talks about their speech. Yeah. And it says their throat is an open sepulcher. I can just see someone's mouth open up and, you know, it's like a grave. You know, it's just rottenness in there. With their tongues, they use to see the poison of asps is under their lips mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. So, I mean, people who are out of the way don't speak well. Right. Yeah. And it it's, behooves us uh, to be the opposite of that. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. All throughout the, the Bible, we have these descriptors describing the wicked. And regularly, tied in with their actions, is the way they use their mouths to destroy, to tear down. Um, and and so th- this is a important uh, contrary or uh, against um, I mean what many of us grew up with is the little uh, chant sticks and stones may break my bones but words will never hurt me and um, the Bible says in Proverbs eighteen twenty one death and life are in the power of the tongue death and life are in the power of the tongue and that's not something that we've gotten soft and now we like. Yes, we have gotten soft and we do get a little too injured uh, by words sometimes in our modern society as a whole. But the reality is the Bible makes a big deal out of our words. It's not just the rhetorical, and it's not just the rhetorical overstatement of Solomon in the Proverbs, but Jesus, if we flip to Matthew 12 as an example, that um, familiar passage where Jesus is talking about a tree being known by its fruit. So Matthew 12, verse 33. Um, Jesus here emphasizes the importance of our words reflecting and expressing our hearts. So will somebody read uh, Matthew 12, 33 through 37? Either make the tree good and the fruit good, or else make the tree corrupt and its fruit corrupt. For the tree is known by its fruit. Old generation of vipers, how can you, you being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. A good man out of the good treasure of, the, of his heart brings forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. But I say to you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give an account thereof in the day of judgment. For by your words you shall be justified, and by your words you shall be condemned. Mm. Yeah. Every idle word, every careless word will be brought up. Every one has to be answered for. So your words matter. They, they matter a lot. 
And we're, we're tempted to, to view our words as kind of throwaway because they, they occur, we use them in the throwaway moments. And um, we tend to think that they're just they're just the, the the tools that we use to try to accomplish what we're trying to make happen. I'm trying to get this person, maybe somebody that works for me, to do something. I'm trying to get something to happen in my family, get my family out of the the, the house to get to church, or, or whatever it is. And tool words are just we're just we use them to make our lives better, more efficient, whatnot. Uh, but the the Bible sees those mundane moments as full of significance. I, um, again, referencing uh, something that Tripp said, he, he pointed out related to our words that your life is lived. He, he's like, you, you only make about four big decisions in your life. Uh, he, he says, most of your life is lived in the mundane, in the utterly mundane. And he, he says, and if God doesn't rule your mundane, he doesn't rule you because that's where you live. And I, I love that. So, so if God is not ruling every word that comes out of our mouth, then He's not. We're not making Him Lord of our our hearts. In in First Peter, we're told to set apart Christ as Lord, to to recognize His lordship in everything. And and so we we want to make sure that we're acknowledging God's lordship um, in this. But what, as we just read in Matthew 12, our problem is bigger than just fixing a few words. Our problem goes down because you can't fix a few words when you've got the bad, the wrong tree. The tree is going to bear the fruit. Um, whatever is in you, uh, uh, I'm, I'm getting, pulling a lot just because it's coming from uh, from things I've heard Tripp says, but he tells the story of being at a family gathering. I was telling some of you about a family reunion. He was at a family reunion and an uncle just started spewing these really gross, perverse things. And his mom grabbed them and they took them to the car and she said, I want you to know, Paul and Mark, his brother, I want you to know that nothing that comes out of a drunk man's mouth was not out of a drunk man's heart was not there before before the alcohol took control it's just the alcohol opened the spigot and suddenly what was in the heart came out um, out of the overflow of the heart the mouth speaks Jesus says so we've got to get the heart right we've got to get the heart right because it's going to overflow um, I couldn't find where I heard Piper say this, but John Piper, I heard him once say uh, that 99% of the things that come out of your mouth are unpremeditated. I, I, I think that's about right. We don't go through life planning what I'm going to say when I sit next to Mike Booker at the, 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 the men's breakfast. Um, we could use with a little more, all of us could use to have a little more thoughtfulness in even, I mean, you, you're preparing to gather with God's people tomorrow morning. It's good to be thinking about what you might say to your brother that you think you're going to bump into. That's wonderful. But no matter how intentional we get, we're still going to have most of the words that come out of our mouth be unpremeditated. So it makes a matter. It makes the issue really one of how we are shaped in the heart. And, and this reflects the general expectation of the scriptures, Romans 12. Um, when it start, when Paul starts to talk about being transformed, he says that the way that's going to happen, the way you're not going to be conformed to the world where they're gossiping and where they're complaining and where they're cussing and where there's all sorts of other bad uses of mouth. The way you're not going to be conformed to the world but to be transformed is, Romans 12, by the renewing of your mind. Um, and so we, we want to be shaped by having our hearts and our minds uh, shaped by things that are good. This is what Paul calls us to in Philippians 4 um, when he says, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So we're, we're trying to put ourselves to where we can be shaped, have our heart in the right place because those are the things we're thinking about. So, starting place of where you're going to, what you're going to speak, is what you're taking in. Garbage in, garbage out. That will happen. And um, th- this also works in a spiral, though, where where our hearts do then control what comes out of our mouths. 
But it also matters the way what we say actually feeds back into our hearts. There's this spiral motion um, so that our words flow out of our, our, our hearts and feed back into our hearts. And that's why God does, in addition to telling us to be renewed in, in, in our minds, He also then tells us, don't do certain things with your mouth. Don't use certain language. Don't express, like, use your, your mouth to do um, certain things. Ephesians 5, verse 4, um, Ephesians 5, verse 4 has some of these things that we should not use our mouths for. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. These are out of, out of place. But instead, let re- replace that with thanksgiving. Uh, so, uh, there have been times in which uh, we have exalted leaders. They might be in the church or they might be in the civic sphere, political sphere, where we lift up a guy and say, I love the way he's so authentic. I love the way he just calls a spade a spade and speaks his mind. And speaking truthfully is one of the things we're going to see is an important part of using our of being exemplary in our speech. But mere authentic, authenticity, if it's reflecting a a you that's supposed to be dead, a, a you that you're supposed to be putting to death, that's that's not helpful. It's it's not good. It's it's as Paul said, out of place. And this is his point here uh, in the chapter leading up to the, um, that verse we read in Ephesians. He, his point is, in Ephesians 4, this is not the way you learn Christ. You have learned Christ, he says in verse 21, chapter 4, verse 21, you have heard of Him and were taught in Him as the truth is in Jesus. You want to know truth? You want to know authentic, uh, authenticity? The truth is, in Jesus... You've been told to put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through the deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your mind and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So we're back to, okay, we need to be transformed. But then how does Paul say to do that? He goes on to say, um, get rid of some things. Put off put off these bad things and put on these good things. And he says to do that with our mouths and the way we use them, with our words. Um, if uh, I don't know if anybody flip o- flipped over to Ephesians 4 with me, but um, some of the ones we see there are put off falsehood. Verse 25, Having put away falsehood, let us speak the truth. Each speech speak the truth with his, with his neighbor. He says, put off corrupting talk in verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. He tells us to put off clamor and slander in verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you with all malice. So, these are some of the areas that we Right here in Ephesians four, are told to put off. What are some of the other? What are some other danger areas with our words? We've listed some of them. Um, so, so um, maybe we've already covered this ground. But we, we 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 talked about some areas such as grumbling and gossip and, and cursing. Any other areas? Danger areas um, with words that we didn't mention. Okay. Yeah. It's really big for me to not Yeah. I think it, 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 one of the advantages those of us who are dads have is in our parenting, we notice things. That if we're thoughtful, the, the very things that we are regularly instructing our kids in are the things that we need to instruct ourselves in. Um, maybe maybe name calling is not specifically the thing, but I run into so many th- areas where I, I'm 
instructing the kids in how they should use their mouths. And I'm like, I need to remember to do that myself. Um, so yeah, that's that's really good. Just along with that, you know, words that build up rather than tear down. Yeah. You know, thinking of parenting, pastoring, husbanding, right? There, there are ways you can say things um, toward the same goal, right? To correct this behavior, to stop this thing. But you can say it in a way that tears down, or you can say it in a way that builds up. Yeah. Right? You can say it in a way that is an attack. You can say it in a way that it is, that it is a, an expression of love and care. Yeah. And learning that, I think that's part of wisdom. That's part of maturity, right? Is learning how to do that. Um, another one that comes to mind is one of our uh, brothers, uh, who, who was one of our pastors in the past, did a really good job on it, talking about sarcasm. Sarcasm. Mm. You know, we men especially, there is a there is an interplay with men that is that is actually healthy. You know, where we rid each other and we we say things, um, but that's also a fine line that can move that into sarcasm. Yeah. Right. Which uh, at that point, the time that brother pointed out, the word the, the word sarcasm is sark's flesh. Sure. And at that point, you're, you're gouging out a piece of flesh. You know, you're ripping out a piece of flesh by the way you're backhandedly belittling somebody. You know, again, tearing down, not building up. Yeah. That's good. Um, sarcasm is one of those areas that uh, we can excuse as, as some of us as just, oh, that's just how I'm, uh, that's my personality. I'm just, you can even find the t-shirts that, uh, brag about how uh, sarcasm is my language or whatever. And then you'll have people who go to the Bible and try to create this big case for how sarcasm is all over the Bible. Yes, there is sarcasm in the Bible. It's the minority voice. Um, when Paul is forced in Second Corinthians to speak sarcastically, it's tearing him up. And he keeps coming back to affirmations and expressions of his concern and care for them because he's so uncomfortable using the tool of sarcasm. And so... If you are using sarcasm in your approach to life, I would encourage you, similarly to Paul, like, you need to be working in a lot of this, this, this expression of your genuine care. Um, Paul is clearly in 2 Corinthians. He is, uh, torn up over this people that he loves so deeply. And he lets, the, he uses his words to, to express that. It's not like he cuts them like we're so prone to do. But he knows I love them. him. She knows I love her. No, if you didn't tell her, she might not. You, if you didn't tell that brother that you, in, in, in many ways and many words, after all those cutting words you, you use, they might not know that you actually care about their, their, their good. And so, um, that, that it's good. There's these danger areas. Danger areas come from angry words. Um, so I, I think of James 1, verse 19. Um, Let everyone be quick to listen, slow to speak. And you have right there with that, slow to become angry. Because when we're quick to become angry, we become the person in Proverbs 12, verse 18, where it says that, there is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts. They're just, they're angry and they say something in the moment and afterwards maybe they apologize. But I, I, I don't know if you've ever been on the, on the wrong end of that. Um, the, and the, the person is genuinely sorry afterwards. Does that immediately erase the pain caused by the, the things they said? No, no. The person who has thrust, uh, uh, thrown their words around rashly, like somebody swinging a sword, like yeah, you you might heal from that sword wound, but you also might scar, and it'll take you a while to heal from it. And so we we we, we need to be careful with angry words. We need to be careful with careless words. Um. Careless words can include generalizations. And 
men, maybe you end up in conversation with your wife and say something like, you always, or maybe you never. Um, you never do that? <laughs> That's good. I bet Paula does. <laughs> I bet she always does. <laughs> um, uh, I, I will say uh, there, there is a, a difference, and, and this comes out in the scriptures as well, between um, sarcasm that has the heart of cutting and sarcasm that's uh, it's more the appreciation of the irony of of a moment. So we can all join in in laughing at that. In in that, in a sense, we're laughing at ourselves because we are ridiculous, um, and, and and that is actually really healthy. Um, being able to laugh at, at, at ourselves, but um, we we do we do these things like we make sweeping generalizations and and we're quick to judge, whereas James would encourage us um, to uh, do not speak against one another, brothers. And this applies to the way we speak against or we speak with our wives and our kids. Sometimes. Now, specifically here, it's talking about brothers, brothers in the faith. Um, so it is talking about a shared faith. But it says, do not speak against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. Because in the law, it's telling you the same thing. Do not speak evil against your, your brother. Um, and it's putting yourself in a, a, uh, a position where... Who's the one that gave Gave us the law, kids. The law, the, the, the law in, in the Bible. Yep. So Jesus gives us this, and then Jesus sets out the rules and how he's going to to go through this. Did Jesus go around as he was on earth? Do you know every time somebody got something wrong, smacking them upside the head and telling them they were dumb? Why didn't you listen? I told you already. Didn't you read the Old Testament? No. Jesus, the lawgiver, has a lot of grace as He bears with people. And so we want to do the same. Um, Other danger areas include many words. We already touched on that, where words are many. Proverbs 10.19 says, Where words are many, sin is not lacking. Um, so that's important. And James 1.19, as we said, gave us that exhortation to be quick to listen and slow to speak. So danger can come from many words, but danger can also come from few words. And probably at least some of the, uh, you men um, need to be reminded of this, that God gave you a mouth to speak. To everything, Ecclesiastes 3, verse 7, to everything there is a time and a season, including a time to, to be silent and a time to speak. And so, th- there is that time to think, to, to speak. Um, one of the, the books I was looking at, uh, a good book just um, on husbanding, um, but uh, in Lou Priolo's The Complete Husband, a bit dated in the cover art, but his... Um, his comment, he, he makes this comment um, about some of our tendency to clam up. We, we get angry or, or we don't like the way something is, so we just shut down. I'm thinking specifically here about men in their marriages, but we run into this in some of our friendships too. Single guys, kids. Like This is something we do in lots of relationships. We clam up, we bottle it up, we don't talk. And um, related to marriage, Priolo says, when there's a problem, especially in marriage, in all likelihood, it's not going to be solved effectively without somebody doing some talking. Bear in mind that God has made you the initiator and spiritual leader of the family. So men, we have a responsibility to lead in talking these things out in our families, with our wives, with our kids. And um, and so, too few of words, when we have a responsibility 
Um, there's are the, there are these areas that God calls us to reflect Him. He is a speaking God. And He calls us to, to use our words. He has created us to be verbal, to be communicators, and to use these words to, put, to repair relationships and to build them. And so it's not really an option just to not say anything. And we're committing sins of omission. God has not merely told you, don't say that that's bad. He's told you, when you put off the filthiness and foolish talk and coarse joking, which are out of place, you should put on thanksgiving and build up others. Yes, Scott? If I'm taking you, I'm jumping ahead or taking you field, stop me. I was just thinking about that, that the power of blessing with yeah. words. And I was thinking about, you know, especially fathers, what a shield that has been in my life. My dad wasn't even a believer early on, but he had a lot of the Christian values you know, in him that later expressed once he became a Christian. But um, I'm sure he did places he messed up. I can't remember him now, you know, <laughs> those places verbally. But he did a good job dealing with our sin, dealing with our, 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 our when we need to be disciplined, but also blessing my, 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 my siblings and I. Mm. Speaking truth to us. One thing I knew growing up without any doubt, my dad loved me, my dad thought well of me, and that um, I, I, I had, he was in my corner no matter what happened. Yeah. And what I think about went through life, because you get out there in the world, school, went to public school, went to a big school, um, you get blasted, you get torn apart, you get kicked, you get brutalized. You know, in the neighborhood, people say horrible things. And I just remember growing up with that and knowing, well, that's stupid. My dad, my dad says this. I believe him more than you. Yeah. And I've thought about that, how not only the bad things we don't want to say, but the good things we do want to say, yeah. and how that blessing is really a shield. You know, I've wanted to do it with my, my daughters. I hope I've done that. I want to do it with my grandkids. You know, and of course... That begins with we take what God says about us above what man said about us, and so we can be impervious to the world's slanders. But I don't know, just the good things we say, the upbuilding. What, what a what a wonderful shield that is throughout life, too. That's good. Yeah. Um, if I'm going to the right place, yes. So Proverbs 12, which we read the first part. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts. The second half says, "But the tongue of the wise brings healing." Mm. Uh, that's part of what you, you, you're expressing is our words have that tremendous... The, the life, it's not just death that's in the power of the tongue, but life is. And so we use our words to bring life. So so how do we do this? Uh, uh, this is, we're still like really abstract, really big. Um, how can we boil it down? I think we, we boil it down. Uh, Sean mentioned um, ways that he tries to help his kids think about using their words. Well, when we think about how helping our kids use their words, we regularly come back to, is it true? Is it kind? Is it helpful? And, and, and those are, are good categories for thinking through our use of the words. If you think that's like... I, I don't know. If you, if you want somebody else other than me saying that's a good idea, um, go read Jonathan Edwards' resolutions because when he get into, gets into relationships, he pretty much covers those. Um, I'm not going to read them right now, but if you're interested, go check out Jonathan Edwards' resolutions and he'll say things um, like... Maybe I will read one. Um Resolve never to speak evil of anyone so that it shall tend to his dishonor more or less upon no account except for some real good. Um, and and he, uh, he, he says uh, others in that list, he has uh, five or six really good ones related to the way we use our, our mouths. And so um, we want to speak what is true, what is kind and helpful. Before we can do any of that, we have to listen. We cannot speak those things well, true and kind and helpful without first being ones who listen, who listen to learn the truth, who listen to know how to speak kindly to this person, who listen to know whether this thing right now will be helpful or not. Um, and, and so, just I really want to underscore that because it's, it's, I think, something James says, makes very clear, James 1.19, 
Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. But let's look at a couple of Proverbs. So can I have three readers? One to read Proverbs 18.14. Jonathan, one to read Proverbs 18.17. Mike, one to read Proverbs 25. I'm sorry. Um, which one? 20 oh, 20 verse 5 Thomas has. Okay. Yeah. 20 verse 5. Yes, I'm okay. sorry. Okay, I, just, I got you. Thank you for... Cl- five. Yep. Excellent example of... <laughs> we run into these things where we have communication difficulties and oftentimes just a question, kindly asked, not in a way that made me feel like an idiot, is so helpful. One of the guys I was reading, Strauch, he was giving an analogy of when he was in seminary and this professor mentioned something about um, about uh, Constantine not actually being a Christian. And the student spoke up and uh, like was just taking issue with this and they were going back and forth and it got so heated they had to take a break, dismiss the class, come back next week. Next week he starts into it Again, affirming Constantine was an unbeliever when he was doing these things uh, to to make a Christianized Rome, and the guy was like, "Oh, Constantine! I thought you said Augustine." <laughs> Sometimes just a little clarification goes a long way, which is why we need to be quick to listen <laughs> and then ask questions. Okay, uh, so can we start with let's see, Jonathan, Proverbs eighteen fourteen. Ah, I must have the wrong one. <laughs> All of them are. Uh, see, this is why I should have the text that I had written down in my notes, just in case I got the reference wrong. Thirteen is good. Thirteen is the one I was looking for. Thank you. If one gives an answer before he hears, it is folly and shame. There you go. Thank you, Mike. Uh, yes. Uh, <laughs> Verse uh, 17 in chapter 18. The one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. Okay. And then, Thomas? 20, verse 5. The purpose in a man's heart is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. So all these have to do with realizing communication is complex. And we need to take time to hear it. If you go ahead and give an answer and interrupt your wife or some other person because you know what they're going to say or know where they're going, you are the man in verse 13 who gives an answer before he hears. And it's your shame. And if you go a little further, you realize that oftentimes you've... Well, I let them finish. I listened to this whole story but you didn't hear this story. And when you get this story in verse 17, the one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. So more listening. After you've done some listening, do some more listening. Um, and, and it all comes down then in verse 20 and 5 to realize, well, I mean, there's a lot to, to understand here, but to understand that in any person you're talking to, including our kids, the the purposes of a man's heart is like deep water. And it, it, a man of understanding, understand wisdom is needed to draw that out. And, and so this is one of the ways we use our words is we ask questions to pull out um, what's actually going on inside the other person's heart. So th- what we start with listening and then this enables us to then be truth tellers. That's, that's, that's one of our... We want to speak what is true, what is kind and what is helpful. Um, and, and we know, I mean, I, I, I was, uh, we've got our, our reading this Sunday from 1 Peter 3, and it says, it quotes from Psalm 34 and says, whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. You want to live a good life? Watch your tongue. Um, and that's, uh, 1 Peter 3.10. Um, is the, the verse. It's quoting Psalm 34. And so we, we, we uh, want to guard against lips from, that speak deceit, that speak untruth. Christians should be distinguished 
as truth tellers. Uh, because we serve a God who hates lies. Proverbs 12.22 says, Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are His delight. And in Psalm 5, it says that God hates... Uh, Psalm 5, verse 6, it says that God hates lie, uh, the liar... Um, the boastful, uh, Psalm 5 verse 6, you destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. So God puts the bloodthirsty and deceitful man together. That's how important truth telling is. Is it's on par with, liars are on par with, with murderers in a sense. Now you can, we, we, we can have more conversation about, uh, like, Kids, like we're we're probably going to deal with uh, lying in our home. We hope we don't have to deal with murder. Um, but 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 to see God tie those two together in, in that way and say that He hates them both is it, it, pretty striking to cause us to take truth telling seriously. We don't want to dismiss casual lies. Um, kids, maybe this is particularly something that that, that you guys should hear. Um, casual lies in uh, Proverbs 26, verse 18 and 19. It says, like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death. So again, we're back to the murder. Like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, I am only joking. And so we, we, we don't want to be casual with deception with lies, um, because God is a God who cares a lot about truth. Why does He care a lot about truth? Because He is truth. Because He is truth. Yes. He also He's created us to glorify Him through our relationships in lies and deception of any stripe, because we can deceive without saying a lie. But any sort of deception destroys relationships. God created you to glorify Him in relationship. If you tear those relationships apart and make them ones where you will not be listened to because you've undermined your credibility, you are no longer reflecting the God who is truth. Instead, you are, are, are tearing apart these things. Um, God cares a great deal about truth-telling in, in part because He knows that deception always destroys relationships. Um, and so, uh, we, we have this call to, to being truthful, to being forthright. Um, Paul uh, is exemplary, I think, in his commitment to this sort of speech, though I think we'll move on from it. But 2 Corinthians 4, 1-2 through 2 is an excellent verse to jot down and look at because Paul speaks about um, getting rid of disgraceful, underhanded ways. He's not going to use his words as a utilitarian tool to get what he wants. Alright. Second, really quickly, um, we want to speak Truth, we want to speak gracious words. True words, gracious words, which means true, kind, and then we're going to get to helpful. We want to um, we want to speak our words kindly. Tone does matter. Tone matters. Um, again, First Peter three, we're going to be reading, and it struck me as I was looking at the the the, uh, the passage. First Peter three, verse fifteen calls us to always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. But how are we to do it? With gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. You you want to do... The tone there matters. It matters in 1 Timothy 5.1 where we're told, do not rebuke an older man. Some translations have harshly or sharply. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him. Your tone in that context 
matters because it expresses things. When we talk about words, all throughout the Bible, in a sense, it's, it's using the part to describe the whole. The whole of our communication. Because we use our words, but we also communicate with our tones. Um, somebody I was reading made the note that like you're eating dinner and your wife asks you, would you like more meatloaf? And there's a huge difference saying, no, thanks. Which communicates, that was wonderful, I'm stuffed. And no thanks. <laughs> which communicates, that was disgusting. Tone matters a lot. Um, and, and, and so, uh, we, we already touched on sarcasm, um, but uh, we, uh, we want to communicate with gentleness, with respect. We want to use tones that come alongside our words and are communicating, you value, you are important, not you are worthless, and I wish you weren't around. Um, and so we, we want to speak things that are true. We want to speak things that are kind. Um, we, we, can't, we cannot, because we're limited in time, and we should not just say everything true that we, we could. I mean, so regularly we have conversations and we, we walk away and it was like, well, everything I said was true. It's like, yes. Like, there are a great many true things that we can say. And you selectively choose which ones to air. You've got like this much broadcast time. And what you choose to broadcast in that time matters. And you can choose words that tear down or you can choose words that build up. And that, that kind of leads us into um, the, the, the next. But as we go into that, that, that final thing of... Words that are true, words that are kind. The final thing, true, words that are helpful, that actually build up. Um, if you're in First Peter three, look at that in uh, in the broader context. First Peter three, verse eight and onward. Maybe somebody will read verse eight through twelve. Okay, thank you, Eddie. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless for uh, bless for to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. For whatever for who whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are upon are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Mm. So this puts it in the context of the eyes of the Lord, which is where we should live our lives, Coram Deo, before the face of God, looking for his smile, aware of his eyes. And and, and as we live there, he says, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. When people tear you down, oftentimes, let's say in a work context, they are not nice people. They are often not even good people. They're, they're not hardworking. They are often the ones who have lots of other problems. There are ways to respond to that reviling with your own reviling that is true. And yet we're told not to. Don't respond in like kind. What God calls you to is not merely to, in that context to speak, well, it's true, but rather to pay attention to, but am I being kind in this? And am I being helpful in trying to see this person move from where they are to, 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 to where they should be, to know Jesus, to embrace His Lordship. Um, and so that's what we're called to. We're called to bless. We have this vocation to be a blessing in the world. And our words are a big part of that. God has placed us in this world to reflect Him in speaking good, in speaking life. And and this brings us, like I said, to this last point of 
speak what is helpful to build up. Um, and this, uh, we, we, we saw, we already heard it in Ephesians, but going back to Ephesians 4 and hearing that underscored again, um, Paul says in Ephesians 4, verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up. As for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. As fits the occasion points to a big part of this involves paying attention to the person we're speaking to and the context. Again, we've got limited time and we are choosing which words to speak in which moments. You may have something that is true and it is kind at least you're working on it, and it is helpful, but not then. Like, you know, trying to have a certain conversation at 11 at night probably isn't wise for a lot of us. Um, and so paying attention to timing so that it will be fitting the occasion and give grace to those who hear. If your wife's had a really hard day, that's not the best time to try to point out some ways that she can improve her efficiency. I mean, you're just trying to be true. You're, you're kind. And you're just trying to be helpful. But the timing's wrong. And, and so, the, uh, the, the, uh, if, if we want to have our words fit the occasion um, so that it will give grace to those who hear, we need to pay a lot of attention. That takes us back to the, we start by listening. We start by observing. Um, and, and this uh, idea is also uh, picked up, this idea of timing, so that your words will be actually building the person up, um, is picked up in a couple Proverbs. Uh, Proverbs 15.23 is a beautiful one. Um, Proverbs 15.23 says... To make an apt answer is a joy to a man. And a word in season, how good it is. Uh, but uh, the similar verse in chapter 25, verse 11, may put it even more poetically, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. I mean, that's th- th- that sort of beautiful jewelry, kind of ornate craftsmanship, of great value, and an apt word is like that word at just the right moment because what they really needed was a little bit of encouragement or it was the right time for that bit of rebuke or it was the right time for that bit of direction and you paid attention and you listened so that when you did speak you were ready to say something that was true that was kind and that was helpful We're at time, and I'm pretty much uh, through the materials. I would say just, I mean, I grabbed, uh, these aren't the best books on the subject. They're just some good books. So again, you find a book like this on husbanding. Lou Priolo's The Complete Husband, and he's got a chapter on biblical communication. Um, that was helpful. This, uh, Alexander Strauch, If You Bite and Devour One Another, um, focuses a lot on conflict. Um, something I would recommend. Um, and this, I barely touched, um, but I had it in my mind. Um, if you don't know this one, Hints on Child Training by H. Clay Trumbull. Um, he's got some stuff in here on avoiding a scolding tone that's gold. Um, I just, I, I, I may just send you, the, copy it out and send you the uh, that chapter if you're interested in it. But um, really good stuff on tone with our children. Um, so, um, let's, uh, let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these reflections on using our words. And we ask that you would help us. Shape us so that we will have words of life for those around us. And glorify you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.